hero change advocates uh, really from around the world. Uh, the podcast is uh, sponsored by the Interdependence Network, um, an online community of practice that uh, focuses in on macro change. Um, it is produced by Side Project Incorporated, uh, our partner um, providing legal support and advice uh, really around the United States, and uh, is underwritten, this uh, season three uh, series underwritten, by Connect Community, a wonderful um, residential uh, traumatic brain injury program in Canada, over in British Columbia, as well as in Ontario. And, um, and, and so we thank them for their generous support. And um, today we have a, 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 a wonderful conversation um, lined up with a, a, a truly uh, impactful uh, advocate and leader in human services for many, many years, uh, Robert Stack. Uh, Robert uh, is a graduate of uh, uh, Dayton University, got his master's at uh, USC. Um, he's uh, uh, studied really at universities around the world in Rome and Switzerland and London. Um, Robert is also very involved in a lot of governmental task forces on disability issues in a number of states around the country. He's on faculty at Keene University in New Jersey. And Robert and I met um, years and years ago when we were both kind of young buck uh, advocates um, working for UCP, United Cerebral Palsy at the time. This goes back all the way back to 1983-84 when Robert was the executive director of UCP of New Jersey and I was uh, the executive director of UCP in Pittsburgh. And uh, Robert and I really, really aligned uh, with a lot of similar philosophy and concern about what happens in human services. Um, Robert left UCP in, in 1989, 88, 89, and, and founded Community Options uh, Incorporated. And Community Options, a nonprofit organization that provides uh, all types of supports to folks with developmental disabilities primarily and other disabilities as well. And Robert, uh, quite, quite an entrepreneur, he's really developed uh, community options from a, a small little conversation group in his kitchen uh, to really a multi-million dollar internationally uh, impactful uh, organization. And we're so delighted, Robert, that you're able to find some time to, uh, to, to converse with us. Welcome to the Call Me Out podcast. Thank you very much, Al. I really appreciate it. And congratulations to you on your uh, big award uh, for the national uh, uh, leadership and, and what you've been able to do. It's been a Wow, thanks. Thanks, Robert. Really, really appreciate it. That was kind of surprised. Um, uh, I, when, when I first got the notification on that, I, you know, I thought it was like some internet hoax, you know, where, where you, you get these kind of come on, these phishing schemes. And, and so I almost like just ignored it. And, uh, and then I got a second uh, response from him, and I, I looked at it a little bit more, and I saw it was from the American Association um, uh, of Developmental Disabilities, an organization that I'm, I'm very familiar with. And so I, I dug a little deeper, and I was really humbled by that. But uh, thank you so much for that. And, and Robert, let's, let's get started really with, I mean, we're in, uh, you and I in, in our work, um, um, really, uh, some of the frustrations of what we saw in those early years in the you know 70s and 80s when when we were just uh, young bucks in the field, 
um, really got you to decide to launch um, your own organization. Tell me about the founding of uh, Community Options, which is now a national impactful uh, service system. Can you talk a little bit about the founding? Well, it's it's it's. Thanks for asking. It's um, United United. I came from as you said, United Cerebral Palsy, and United Cerebral Palsy. I saw the the wonderful aspects of it, which were that it was uh, nationwide, that it was collective, uh, that there was a lot of people that were involved. Um, but I also saw that each part of United Cerebral Palsy was a separately incorporated entity. And that you didn't have the ability to have the same uh, collective when you talk about any kind of administrative costs, insurance, um, accounting, financial statements. And by having one corporation, it makes it a lot easier where you're not spending administrative costs the right. same. Right. And, and that was the impetus really to kind of launch um, Community options. So tell us a little bit about community options, the structure and the service delivery system that your organization has. Well, we're, we're, um, we're as, as you said, we're a nonprofit uh, organization. Our, our, uh, right now, we're supporting about 3,400, 3,500 families. Wow. We're in, uh, we have about 560 houses. Uh, we have uh, we're in 10 states, and we have uh, about 48 local executive directors. Each executive director um, has their own business committee, advisory committee, who does not have fiduciary responsibility but helps them with whatever, whatever their mission is. Mm -hmm. um, so it work, it work, that works out really well. And we don't do anything large. We don't do anything larger than a four-person house or a three-person house or a two-person house. We do no sheltered workshops. We do no uh, no sub-minimum wage. Uh, we just do employment for people with disabilities. And if they can't do employment because they're not ready or they're learning how to become more employed, we, we, we do option quests where we do community-based uh, uh, interaction with them. Uh, well, mm -hmm. well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with your your system, Robert, having the, 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 the pleasure of um, of meeting some of your key staff and spending some time with uh, with uh, your uh, your organization, some things. I, I know you're so committed to um, uh, you know keeping your staff as current as they can be, and and really finding ways that that folks can can grow and develop. and And I've always been so impressed with the energy of your leadership team. But the one the one project that you started a number of many years ago that I thought was really uh, genius uh, was the Daily Planet. And uh, when you launched that, you were so far ahead of the curve of supports, especially employment supports. And I know, I know you've taken this so seriously and you've written about it, you, you speak about it at conferences and around the, really around the world. Um, tell us a little bit about the, that, the, the initiation of the Daily Planet and what it was intended to do and, and how that's unfolded other things in your system. Well, the Daily Planet is um, an office building uh, it uh, consists primarily of about 25 offices, 
all of the offices are people pay rent and the people that pay rent are all have nothing to do with each other there it's a it's a it's a conglomeration of of people who could be a real estate agent or an accountant or 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 a um an architect a contractor therapist and those 25 offices are all the infrastructure of support are done all by people with developmental disabilities. The, the, we, we buy the building with either fundraising money or uh, we do a lot of composite bonds or non uh, tax exempt bonds. And because we're ta- and because we're a tax exempt entity, we don't pay taxes on the on the building. Yes. So that gives us a little bit more of an edge. Wow. And then we employ people with, with significant levels of disability who do anything, all the concierge services. They provide copy work, they answer the phone, and then we have people with and without disabilities that do that. It's kind of like a WeWorks, only we don't have the, the, uh, the, the, the Learjets and the drugs. So, so uh, uh, yeah, so um, we're, we're, um, we, we started at one, well, the first one was in 1996, and now we have four. Wow. And um, and it employs hundreds of people with significant levels of disability. I will tell you this too. Right now, um, in this pandemic time, we are very upset because I have insured for the last uh, thirty years with Berkshire Hathaway for business interruption insurance. Mm. And once again, they pulled the plug by saying that because of the fact that this was not a um, the pandemic. Uh, wasn't covered. So um, I, I actually wrote a letter to to Warren Buffett, but he has yet to respond, uh, <laughs> saying that, you know, you being the grand philanthropist that you are, we had to furlough 100 people with significant levels of disability who worked in these these places because we had to shut them down because of a government demand. Right, right. Wow. Um, you know, there's, you know, the, the points that you're raising about this uh, at this time of the pandemic really brings up a whole variety of of, of tangential questions that, that I have. Um, the um, you know, I obviously, you know, we're doing this interview from our homes and there's stay at home orders that are that are still in effect um, and that the I know you've been a really outspoken advocate for DSPs, direct support professionals. Um, and, you know, I've, I've seen uh, you uh, lead, leading the, the charge around combat pay and other ways of, of really saying thank you to the DSP uh, workers that show up every day, come into the homes, get people up, get people dressed, get, give people baths. I mean, do the the really basic things of, of, of survival for um, men and women with significant dif- disability. Um, tell me a little bit about this, this idea of combat pay and um, the, um, the kinds of things that we uh, can think more about in terms of rewarding DSPs for their, their incredible work. Well, first of all, you know, there's a, there's a, if you, if you, my, my wife is Chinese. And so I learned a lot of Mandarin Mm -hmm. and the word for danger is a, is an icon. Mm -hmm. And the word for opportunity is an icon. Mm -hmm. When you put those two words together in Mandarin, that means crisis. Mm -hmm. So it's Mm -hmm. interesting that you think about that. Now, juxtapose that against what we pay people who are DSPs. So essentially what we pay people that are direct support professionals 
you want the same person to take care of your son as to take care of your cheeseburger. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is really, it is so true. And um, the, you know, when in, in the work that I did, uh, similar work through class, the uh, organization in Pittsburgh, um, you know, we relied on DSPs. Um, they were the backbone of the services that, that organizations like Community Options uh, provides. Um, and, and yet, you know, how people are sort of, you know, not just the lower pay, but, but the, the other kinds of ways that folks can get uh, devalued, uh, workers can get devalued is, is, is really powerful. The other, I think the other piece of this, and I'm wondering uh, how this is going at Community Options, it's been a, a while since you and I've chatted, um, in terms of recruiting and then retaining and maintaining, you know, a stable workforce. Um, you know, you're, you're supporting, um, you know, 3,500 uh, individuals and families through your system. That, that means an awful lot of, of direct support professionals necessary in order to get that job done. How's it going in terms of maintaining, sustaining, retaining, uh, recruiting of, of DSPs? Well, what I did was um, I did a, a few things when when this I got ahead of the curve for some again again being married to a Chinese woman who actually has a PhD and taught at Broad University. Oh, wow! Literally for like fifteen years. Yes. I was kind of ahead of the curve. Her father was an architect, and he said this thing's going to hit you. So, way before St. Patrick's Day, I guess around the thirteenth or fourteenth of March, I called. I had a I had a national uh, televised. Uh, uh, meeting with all of the staff throughout the whole country. Yeah. And I said, number one, none of you are going to lose your job. Yeah. I will make sure that none of you lose your job. Yeah. Number, and that was, that made them feel good. Yeah. I said, number two, you, you have to socially distance. We have to worry about this. Number three, I'm getting thousands of masks delivered right now from China and I'm going to distribute them to all of the agents all, all of the, before it was told that we had to do that. Wow. Wow. I said, and the fourth thing, and, and the most important thing is that, that you have to realize that, 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 that every person who works in a house who is, um, who, who, that is COVID-19 will automatically get a 10% raise. I don't care where it comes from. I will just give them the combat pay. I don't care how it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. The last thing I did, Al, was I took all of my administrative staff and all the Daily Planets and I said, you guys all have jobs. And they were a lot of administrative people who didn't have traditional experience in working with people with disabilities. And quite frankly, they didn't want to. Yes. And I said, okay, here's the way it's gonna work. Everybody in the organization can, can, use their, um, can use their paid time off. After the paid time off runs out, you can, um, you can take unpaid family leave because I'm not going to fire you and I'm not going to, I'm not going to furlough you. Yeah. And then the people that were administrative who didn't want to do it, I made every one of them virtual recruiters. Wow. We hired 117 people this week. Jeez. So we have a staff of 5,250 people. Wow. So we're constantly going, we're going after, we have virtual, um, 
uh, ways to get people involved. We're doing, we're doing, we're actually doing a, a musical podcast to get people more involved. We're doing whatever we can in order to, uh, to, to internet people as much as we possibly can. And now we're to the point where if it's a hard place, for mm -hmm. example, Pittsburgh isn't a problem, but examples, Queens, mm -hmm. New York, a little mm -hmm. bit of an issue. Brooklyn, a yeah. little bit of an issue. Utah, not so much. Right. Arizona, not so much. New Mexico, not so much. What we're doing is we're saying, we will give you a $2,000 bonus if you sign on working for us and we'll pay it out after three months in our employment. Mm, wow. We've wow. also recruited every teacher saying, hey, you're, you're not working now. They closed the school. You're still getting paid. You want to make some extra money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, see, this is a hallmark of, of, of your career, Robert, is you've always been ahead of the curve. And I think you've you've been able to fuse, you know, really uh, creative business principles with, you know, the philosophy of inclusion and community engagement for for the, for folks who have been shut away, left behind, institutionalized. And, and I think that's really one of the, the, the real bottom lines of the success of community options has has been that kind of that kind of fusion and it, and you know obviously this this crisis this pandemic you know it, it gives us you know a a platform in which to talk about that but well before this crisis i i i know you've done things um in terms of recruiting and and retaining uh, folks that that other organizations have, have have never either tried or didn't ever even think about so so uh, kudos to uh to to, to to community options and in fact robert tell us a little bit you know you mentioned a couple cities you were you were referencing hotspots obviously um queens and brooklyn but Are national, and I know thirty. Al, he's we might have lost Al, Robert. I think we did. He's been frozen on my screen for a few seconds now. For a few minutes now. Yeah. All right. Let's see if he can come back. Come back online. Oh, he just came back. Can you hear okay. Can Can you hear me, Robert? Yes, perfectly. Did you hear the question? No, I, you froze up. Go okay. Ahead. So we're back on. Let me let me let me uh, get the question out. Robert, you have uh, a um, national system. Um, you know, we were talking just a minute ago about the pandemic and the hotspots, and you have sites where you're supporting people in some of those those communities. But you're also really in other places around the United States. Can you tell us a little bit about the sites where you provide support and what actually do you look for in starting up a, a new site in a state? Great question. We, we, we look at a couple of things. It's, again, this is old school, the SWOT analysis, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Yeah. So we don't, we, 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 we look at states that we, we're not in Minnesota because Minnesota's got such a tremendously powerful number of, of agencies and agencies. Yeah. We tried to open up. So that's one thing we did. So I'll go both sides. So that was <laughs> what we did. The other side was, 
I went down, I had lunch twice with the governor of Mississippi. And again, back to my Chinese wife, she said, I don't understand a word he said. I said, just smile and, 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 and act like you do. So, so he's like, well, I don't like Obamacare. I said, Governor, I'm not here to talk to you about the Affordable Care Act. I'm here to talk to you about getting people out of institutions. He, I got him sold on the idea. Mm. I even wrote a proposal, Al, called Mississippability. Mm. I said, Governor, this will be your legacy. This will make you surpass Haley Barber beyond any pale you've ever thought about. <laughs> he thought it was great. He proposed it. It took a year. We got in rate setters to look at Medicaid because they were paying $50 a day for housing in the community. And I said, Governor, that's not safe. Yeah. The Medicaid rate setters came in. They gave a, 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 a not a great rate, but a little better than, than Texas. And the legislature across the board said, we don't want no federal government telling us what to do because they didn't want to get the 50% match from the, from the Medicaid program. They didn't want to be, so they, they all voted against it. Mm. So that's a state we don't go in either because, mm. and there's only, and there's three providers out in the entire state of Mississippi and it's a crime. And there's more people in institutions in Mississippi than, 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 than there are community providers. Texas has been very difficult, and the only reason why we're there, there's, there's an in-between state. In Texas, we're in El Paso, uh, Albuquerque, uh, El Paso, Austin, Amarillo, Lubbock, uh, San Antonio, and Corpus Christi. Um, why are we there? Because they still have thousands of people with disabilities, institutions. Their rates are lousy. The governor, you would think the fact that he's a quadriplegic C5 would be more empathetic, but he's not. But we were able to get grants enough to keep us going. For example, during this pandemic, I took advantage of the fact that there's a lot of for-profit agencies there. Yeah. So I went after uh, those heartstrings of the United Ways and the community foundations. And so far, we've been able to bring in about a couple of hundred thousand dollars to kind of augment some of the, 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 the issues there. Mm -hmm. But they're all small three-person, four-person houses. Uh, but they're, and I do ICF programs, which are intermediate care facilities, right. which are more medically. Somebody asked me the difference between them. I said, it's kind of like the a la carte versus the American plan. With a waiver program, you just bill for what you need. You don't have to get what you don't need. So <laughs> right. we're, we, we have, we have a, a, you know, it's a struggle in Texas, but we still feel that it's important yeah. for us to do what we do there. But we have beautiful homes and uh, we're proud of them. Yeah. I've visited a couple of your homes and they are really impressive. And, and I know the community options also does fundraisers and, you know, you're out there with, um, you know, events and, you know, and, and those things are not just to raise funds. They also to raise friends and to, you know, publicize in the community that all people have the right uh, to community and to be a part of, 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 of their uh, community in terms of engagement. And, uh, <clears throat> but it's got to be, it's really got to be challenging with all those. I mean, that's balancing a lot of, you know, differing uh, politics and differing, um, you know, uh, philosophies uh, that states have. You know, you talk about Mississippi or Texas versus, you know, a, a state that 
maybe um, you know more forward thinking. Um, do you have presence in California? No. Okay. And what's your reason for not um, not penetrating into that support system? Because I can't understand Medi-Cal. Ah. <laughs> and, and anybody that wants to explain it to me, please be. be, be, be <laughs> the other issue with 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 uh, California is. I mean, you, it's a wonderful state. I call it the People's Republic of California because of the fact that, you know, if an employee leaves, you have to, you, you, oh, here's a, here's a great example. This is a great example. If you work 40 hours in, in Pennsylvania, you get 40 hours. Right. If, you work, if you work an extra 10 hours, you get overtime. Mm-hmm. In California, and, but if you work 10 hours on Monday and five hours on Tuesday, that's called flex time. Mm-hmm. In California, if you work... Nine hours on Monday, I have to pay you overtime that for that extra hour. Jeez. They also have a much higher threshold. I believe it's forty-two thousand dollars before you can, where you have to establish a minimum before that. That that. And then the other thing is the tax base in California for anybody is so high that it's just really, really hard to do with. Yeah, really, really, you know, those kinds of things really do uh, boggle, boggle the mind. And, and, and this is a good setup, Robert, for, you know, another, another question I'd like to ask you, and especially someone with, with your acumen um, in terms of, of, of providing support for many, many years that you've been involved in a whole variety of levels that you've been involved in. What, where do you see things going? What, what's, what's in your crystal ball as, as you look on the road or run um, around the philosophies that we de- deeply believe in, uh, that we've had many, many conversations about in terms of full inclusion, the right for people to live their lives um, uh, as they, you know, as they, just like anyone else might want to live their lives. What do you see coming down the road as it relates to the future for services to people with developmental disabilities? I think right now you are in the greatest strategic inflection point of the entire world ever. This is bigger than 1918. This is bigger than it's ever been. Hmm. What I'm seeing right now is with this whole, I, I, I said to the governor of Maryland, I said, governor, imagine three people who are ambulatory who have exacerbated behavior, who are autistic, living in a house, who are infected with COVID-19, and the staff leave. Mm. And now they knock on your neighbor's door and say, what do I do? Besides infect the other people, what do you want them to do? So you're pretty much guaranteed that person's going to infect that person. What is in Maryland is something called K uh, appendix, which is something submitted to each, by each state to the to the governor to the Medicaid CMS mm-hmm. to ask for additional funding. The governor of Maryland, who also and I went to him for a reason. We have a lot of programs in Maryland, but he's the chairman of the National Governors Association. Yes, Hogan. Yeah. He's yeah. a good guy. He had cancer. He got over it. He's a really good guy. Yeah. He put in that he wants a 50% increase for all direct service professionals immediately. CMS has still been reviewing this this for the last 10 days. It is the most obfuscated, protracted kind of conversation I've ever seen. But I think that's what's going to future is 
Now Maryland and some of the other states, New York included, are scratching their heads saying, are we really doing this the right way? Are we doing something wrong here? Do you think congregate care is a good idea when you have Denton uh, supported living center in Dallas with the highest level of people with developmental disabilities infected where they had to quarantine the entire institution? Maybe congregate care isn't a good idea. I'm not using that as an argument today, but I think down the road, that will be something that people are going to have to look at because we have these small houses. We've had two deaths. We've had two people with disabilities die on ventilators. Okay. The staff were infected, came back to work. One staff person, I said to him, hey, uh, Dale, why aren't you coming back? It's been two weeks and you're doing better. He goes, well, Robert, my doctor told me it would be prudent for me to wait for another week because you see, I am 68 years old. Wow. Yeah. So, and, and there's a reason for that. You know, there's a reason that if you look at the whole, at the way that it works, the people that can work, that work from home, the majority of them make over a hundred thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. People with disability, a staff person goes to a COVID house mm-hmm. He has to work there eight hours and then he has to go home and self-isolate for an, from his own family before he goes back. Wow. People, people have no idea the sacrifice. I will put my staff against any Amazon union worker in a minute because they are committed to supporting people because we all work for money, but we also work to do something good. And the people that work community options, I'm proud to tell you are people that are committed to supporting the lives of people with disabilities who need it. Yeah. Wow. You know, uh, I'm, I'm just shaking my head, um, you know, in, in such strong agreement with uh, your point, because uh, it's really been my experience as well Really, almost anywhere uh, I've gone, uh, not just organizations that I work for, but but you know trainings that I've done or opportunities to be with other staff, and the commitments lo- levels are are just uh, are just incredible. And I think that the th- this point that you you just made, Robert, I think is really so so powerful because the you know the the contagion phenomena of COVID. Um, it really just begs uh, for individuality rather than, you know, clustering of people. And the whole history of disability supports, as we both know, um, you know, in our early years going into those institutions and helping getting people out of them is, is, is just, uh, you know, literally congregating uh, people uh, once you get them in that kind of situation, two things um, unfold here that I think are really powerful in the point that you you just made. One is not just the the contagion phenomenon, but when people are cloistered, as we both know, they have they have limited opportunity to build social capital, and it's social capital and relationships that we have that keep us safe and keep us healthy, and so I think. You know, the, those two points, when you uh, intersect them, I think, you know, really bode for a, um, a significant uh, impact, philosophical impact, um, you know, on the road. So um, uh, I, I think on that, we're going to have to leave it. I always have such I have such fun in conversations with with you, Robert, because of your 
your, your perspective and your vision on these things um, is so powerful. Well, Al, this is going to be a time when you have to ask yourself one other question, which is wild. It's not a question. It's, it's a reality. Mm-hmm. This will be the first time in the history of this country that you have the oldest person ever running for the president of the United States and can it's juxtaposed against the pandemic where he can be infected. Yeah. 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 How will that work? Yeah. It's really, uh, you know, they, you hear over and over again, we're in unprecedented times and, and certainly they are unprecedented. There's really no playbook here. And, and, and uh, we're going to have to make the. Yeah. So uh, we're going to have to close this conversation. Obviously, you and I will continue to chat um, over over times and many, many um, similar kind of things that we're both passionate about. But you've been listening to the Call Me Out podcast, and we've been talking with Robert Stack, CEO of uh, Community Options uh, Incorporated, a nonprofit organization um, uh, in in literally, what, 12, 13, 15 states, um, providing supports to 3,500 individuals and families with significant difference. Um, and um, we, um, we, Robert, we appreciate you uh, spending some time today sharing some of your insights, some of the experiences that you've had. Uh, we hope that some of the things that you shared will be helpful to our readers. The Call Me Now podcast is available on iTunes, or on the um, on the Interdependence Network website, www.buildingsocialcapital.org. Um, the podcast is uh, is produced by Side Project Incorporated, um, a legal uh, consulting uh, firm and support for nonprofit organizations around the country. It's written by Connect Community, a uh, service system in Canada providing services to people with traumatic. Uh, brain injuries. Uh, Robert, we appreciate you taking some time with us, and uh, we look forward to uh, folks not only listening to the podcast, but following us on the road. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great day.